And we are live. Awesome. What's going on, everyone? Welcome back to the Odoom and Andrea show. This is a podcast where I sit down with my beautiful wife, Andrea, and we discuss a book that someone wrote that is either, I don't know, unique or interesting, or they've gone on some adventure, whatever the case may be, something that is interesting that we think is worth talking about. And we want to see if there's anything that may be we want to incorporate into, into our lives. As you know, we're always striving to better ourselves. And uh, as you should be as well. <laughs> <laughs> and today we are reading, uh, let's see here, a book by Johan Hari yeah. called Lost Connections. Uncovering the real causes of depression and the unexpected solutions. Oh my goodness, we're going to talk about depression now. This should be interesting, giving all the new revelations that have been going on with this. Let me just post that book there so you can see it. Um, well, yeah, the new revelations that have been going on around, I guess, in the drug industry anyways, yes. about depression. Um, I don't know if this is why you chose to take this book or it just happened to coincide with this stuff coming out. It just, I happened, don't know. To, it just happened to coincide. It was like a really good coincidence. It's a, it's a coincidence. <laughs> yeah. A yeah, happy yeah. coincidence. A happy coincidence. Uh, I guess, well, I guess, yeah. I mean, you, you've been reading this, these books um, in advance or whatever. So, um, yeah, sorry. Johan. Hari. Johan Hari. Lost Connections. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, yeah, I have, I have no idea what this is about. I've never read this book. Never heard of this person. Cool. So um, I don't know if this is going to be some type of adventure thing or just something that's... I, I have no idea. Let's find out. Okay. Let's find out what this is all about. Okay. So he is a journalist and he's worked for... And he's um, in the UK. So he's worked for The Independent and HuffPost and other publications. Okay. Such as so that. he's not a real journalist. <laughs> um... Yeah, and like New York Times, Los Angeles Times, that sort of thing. So he's... Yeah, he's not a real journalist. Got it. Okay. Okay. So he has felt like he's been depressed like his whole life. Mm-hmm. And so he started taking antidepressants when he was 18. And he just... When he was he, 18. Mm-hmm. He couldn't remember a day that he didn't have like... That he didn't cry just be feel like very very sad yeah. and he says it was like an almost constant anxious monologue thr- thrumming through my mind and so at one point he finally kind of has this epiphany that it was depression that was bothering him and that you could like get a pill and just fix it and that you just take a pill and it's just it's all good if there's one thing that i know is the pharmaceutical company has a solution for Every everything mm-hmm. so and I think it was like the realization it helped him because he kept like kind of telling himself, oh, he's just like a weak person and a weak person. But then mm-hmm. having like an actual like label and then like a solution to go along with that problem. Sorry. No, I got to um, fix your cables right below. Um, he, it made him feel even just that alone made him feel better. Just kind of figure like it having out. a label on something, yeah. even though that label could be false. Yeah. Or I'm not saying it is, but I'm just yeah, saying yeah. just yeah, that. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. So he just flipped some switch in his mind that made him feel better, even just by changing his perspective or thinking about things in a different way. I just think it gave him comfort, right? Right. Like not necessarily but still. not depressed, but like well, gave him comfort. But it seems like it helped a little so bit anyways, depression, which is interesting. Depression like runs in his family. Yep. His mother was always depressed. His aunts and uncles were always taking kind of pills and all that kind of thing. They're also um, 
was addiction in his family and actually his first book was called chasing the scream and it's all about the quote-unquote war on drugs and, addi- mm. and addiction and that sort of how thing. old is, is this, this gentleman he's one year older than here, us hi, let, let me see, see your mic here just for a second because you keep uh yeah and it's like i said it's not your fault so yeah. There we go. Okay, cool. Maybe that'll help just when you're going under to write your computer. Yeah. Okay, sorry. How old is so he? He's, he's, he's our age. He's our age. Okay. Yes. So he's all right. Mm-hmm. So he goes to the doctor and um, the doctor basically says, this is like, gives him like the company line. Um, depression is physiological and there are people who naturally have depleted levels of a chemical called serotonin and so we're going to give you these um, um, selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors also known as SSRIs Mm -hmm. and they're going to restore your serotonin levels and you're going to feel good as new. And that's what the drug is is allegedly supposed to do the bottom line is is we actually don't even know what ssris do we don't know really the mechanism of action of them um this is true for many neurological drugs we don't they seem to work but we don't know why so epileptic drugs are a really good example of this hmm. they stop at, they stop seizures but we just don't know the mechanism of action they just right. they would just work which is why if a doctor is going to be prescribing seizure seizure <laughs> seizure yeah uh, medication it's almost like trial and error it's like well we'll just keep yes, trying medication until find one that works they have an idea they have an idea right especially like for children they have an idea so should we so you're talking about these ssris ssris yeah antidepressants should we talk about what has happened in the news recently or do you want to save that until the end or until you finish this guy's story yes we'll get well we'll get to it don't worry okay all right well i just don't know what makes sense to our our audience or even to me yeah (laughs) so all right um but the problem was, like, he started putting on weight. He started, like, sweating all the time. But while he's taking this medication. While he's taking this medication yeah. because it's the side effects that are really awful. There's a ton of other side effects, right. too. Um, and then... But he knows that. He knows why he's doing this, right? Yeah, he knows well, he these knows are the side, the side effects. effects. Yeah, but yeah. then he became, like, an evangelist for antidepressants. Like, he was writing about them all the time, about how they worked, why they were so amazing, pushing people go get help and get, like, the help and they're the, fun they're the solution for everything. Because he's a propagandist. I'm sorry, he's a journalist. Yes. <laughs> right. So, and, like, it made, like, the story made sense to him and made, can, yeah. made him feel good, right? Mm-hmm. The problem was he would take them and then start to feel sad. And so he'd go back to the doctor and the doctor would just like up his dose. It would work for a while and then he'd feel sad again. So then the doctor would up the dose again. So what do you what does he mean? Can you does he describe what he means when he says I feel sad? Well, yes, a little bit. Like I'm not going to get into like what depression is. Uh, it's just like Sure, but I'm just I'm just curious yeah. as to like what do you go to the doctor and say, "I oh, well, I feel sad." Like just like uh-huh. I feel, no, not like that sad. Like I feel like the depression's kind of coming back. Mm, right? Okay. So the other thing was, he, at the same time this is happening, he's going to a therapist to talk things through, and the therapist is just like, "I don't think like you're getting any better. Like your emotional distress seems to not have changed at all since you've taken these drugs. Mm, you still seem to right. have the same issues, the same emotional distress as when you started." Right. Was he taking, sorry, was he in therapy even before he started taking these uh, pills? I don't know. So I that know. he would know what the difference is? No, I don't know. Okay. Yeah. Um, 
And then, yeah, that's what he, he's like, how could I still be depressed when I was taking antidepressants? I was doing everything right and something was still wrong. So that was kind of his first starting to question things. <laughs> These things are supposed to make me feel good, but then they're not. They're not. And then the other thing was, is like, why are there so many more people suffering from depression now? Like, what is happening? Like, what has changed? What's going on? Um, and then the other thing was, could something other than brain chemistry be causing depression mm-hmm. and anxiety? Um, so over the course of three years, he traveled all over the world, did over 200 interviews. And he says, what I learned forced me to radically revise my story about myself and about the distress spreading like tar over our future. Mm. And so this is why I wanted to read this book and why I wanted to do it on podcast because he saw a problem. It's something he's dealing with and he wanted to get curious, even though he had this script, he had this like idea of antidepressants and, you know, praising them and all this stuff. But then it's like, I have these questions. And so it's like, okay, well I'm going to, I'm going to find the answer, right? right? I'm going to do the research and find the answer and take control of it. Yeah. But it's almost like from what I'm gathering is that he was following the narrative. He was like, oh, yes. well, you're sick or you're sick, you're depressed, whatever. Yes. You know, just take these depre- antidepressants, you'll be fine. Because like he said, he was taking them and he was blogging or whatever, writing about it, telling everyone how great these things are, but yet he wasn't feeling any better. So then maybe at some point he's like, I got to stop being in denial about this and maybe really try to investigate what the hell is going on. Well, because he wants to help himself too, well, exactly. right? And so it's like, he's a journalist anyway. So why don't I use my journalism skills yeah. and try and figure out like what's happening? Yeah. Right. Instead so of just yeah, take your pills and shut up. It. and uh, Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Um, and so he had a really hard time. So he was, he would talk up like he says, I want to be candid with you how about how I felt while I was investigating this. He said, when I put on my journalist's hat and quiz people, I found it fascinating. But when I would get back to my hotel room, there was often a jarring moment when I had to think about how it related to my own life. So hmm. this is the other reason why I think it's important to go to talk about this book is because it's like you have... You're, you're changing your mind in a way you're admitting that what you once believed is not the truth and you're having to reconcile that and change mm. your mind and that's a big thing especially when it's a such a, a serious dogma that you have fed yeah. into like it's difficult to change your mind and admit you were wrong right but it's funny though because this isn't even something that's <clears throat> like a core principle or belief it's no. just like this is oh I just thought this was the treatment for yes. this disease. Not even the treatment, but this is this is the etiology of the disease in and of itself was this chemical imbalance in the brain. Oh, so that's what he was figuring that out too. That that yes. wasn't um, that wasn't the truth. Mm. Okay, so, so what was he finding out? So he he starts talking about placebo effect, and so one name kind of kept popping up, and it was a professor at Harvard Medical School. Um, who was an expert in placebo. And so he did studies to see what percentage of antidepressants efficacy was chemical and not placebo. And what he found is that it was only 25%. Was actually, the drug was actually causing a positive effect. Yes. And then the rest is just no effect or it could even be negative. Yes. Right? Because obviously there's so many side effects with drugs. Yes. And but, okay, that's crazy. Yes. So, or is it just 25% effect, 75% placebo? Either way, if you get a drug that you're touting in the whole world as saying, like, if you're depressed, this is it, there's a 25% chance that it's actually going to work on you. 
Yes. Or 25% or whatever. Mm-hmm. What did I just say? Mm-hmm. That's, so, uh, that's really bad. Yeah. So the other thing is what they looked into him and another researcher, they were really looking into it. And when pharmaceutical companies publish their data from their studies to see if these drugs are going to work, they do what's called publication bias, where they only publish the results that make their drugs look good. A lot of people don't know this, but that's how it works. Yeah. It's false. Why would you publish something that shows something bad? Can you think of anything else in recent history about pharmaceutical Hmm. companies publishing data that only shows stuff in a good light? Not even that. They even publish data that in all intents and purposes should make a product be rejected, but it gets approved anyways. Mm. Has that happened recently? Mm. It's bringing things to light. It's like, wow. So it's like, maybe if you just look at history and how all drugs are pushed by the pharmaceutical company, maybe we should stop to think about what we're doing in the whole, the whole, the whole industry. Okay. Mm. We're not just talking about fucking vaccines and what's going on now. Everything. Everything. The AIDS. Uh, drugs, uh, depression, antibiotics, antibiotics, anything, a- anything, any drug, cancer drugs, know? Alzheimer's drugs, anything. Yeah. So, but to get a drug approved by the FDA, you have to submit. The drug companies have to submit all of their data. All of their data has to be submitted. So, regardless what they can, they publish selectively what they want. The FDA needs it all. So you can put in a FOIA, Freedom of Information mm. um, request, and you can then get all of that data. So this is what these two researchers did, and they requested it for the six most widely used um, antidepressants. But ha- can I ask you just one mm-hmm. question? Sure. Maybe this is too much in the weeds, and we don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, how the hell would the FDA even know if you're getting all of the raw data yeah. from I don't know. You know, because if like, I don't think if I just do date, if I if I work for Pfizer, whatever company, yes, I run some experiments and like realize, oh shit, this is really bad. I'm just gonna destroy the data, or I'm just gonna not hand it in. Like, could it be that they're saying that they they publish their paper, but then they have to hand in all raw data that that paper is based on? Yes. Because that's different than hand over all your data. So, yeah. Do you know getting, what I mean? You're getting way too in the weeds. Yeah, I have anyways. literally no idea. Right. Either way. The point is, yeah. the point is, they requested it for the six most widely used antidepressants. Right. And so, in one trial for Prozac, which Prozac is that's a huge that's a blockbuster, um, the drug was given to 245 patients, but the results were only published for the 27 that it worked on. Mm-hmm. So for the rest of the patients that it didn't work on, they did not publish those results. Right. So they published this paper saying, look how great this is. We've had 27 people take our drug. All of them had amazing results. Look at that. Yes. So additionally to this, there is a Hamilton, it's called Hamilton Hamilton score. And so it's how you score, like you interview patients and it's how they score their depression. And so mm-hmm. if you... They looked, they, they found that the improvement on the Hamilton score in, for people that took Prozac, these that it worked on, it only, in their improvement only increased by 1.8 points. And to give that context, if you, you can improve your score by six points if you improve your sleep. 
Right. Well, the scale, how many points in total? I don't is know. The it, scale? It, that's not the point of it. The point yeah, of that's it is just the relative. That's I'm giving you the relative. Right. So we don't get, have to get into the weeds with that. So getting better sleep will increase or decrease your depression by five times is yes. basically what you're saying. Because it's like one point, whatever yes. to six. Yes. So it's like almost a yes. five times increase, 500% increase. Yes. But then yet a doctor will quickly prescribe you antidepressants over like, hey, Maybe you should get some more sleep or maybe you should get some more exercise. Yes. Well, you know, you and I always preach just exercise, laughter and sleep will probably cure like 95% yes. of, yes. you know, of, of, of ailments. Um, yeah, it's, uh, it's unbelievable. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so that's where things stand. And what's, so... After the, the researchers found this, they published this and they expected there to be like a huge backlash and fight. And there wasn't because everyone fucking knows it. A huge backlash from? From other researchers, other scientists. And there wasn't a backlash because everyone knew that this was a case. It's a dirty little secret that nobody talks about. No, there was no backlash even from the pharmaceutical companies? Oh, I don't know about that. It's mm. the researchers he's talking about. Mm. So... After this, the researchers was like, well, where did this evidence that depression is caused by a serotonin imbalance? Like, where does this, where did this even come from? Like, why is this how we think about it? And so all it was, was it was just a suggestion that a doctor put forward in 1965 that said, maybe this could be it. And then uh, for some reason, well, not for some reason, because then they latched onto this idea. Exactly. Right. And at that time, they didn't they didn't even know what serotonin did in the brain. So you can't suggest that it causes depression when you don't even know what it does. Right. It's funny. I, I, I think I remember my thesis, um, you know, five bucks to the person who could go out and find my thesis online. Um, I think I like I remember you're, you're writing like conclusions or whatever. Like, mm-hmm. what is your results of, of your study? And a lot of the time it's just like, this is what I think possibly could be happening way more research needs to be done. And yes. then that's your publication. Yes. So like if somebody takes that research and says, oh, well, this person says, concludes this for sure is happening. Like, no, you're not being genuine to what the hell it is that you just read. Yes. So a doctor, I could see that that's fine to make that into a thesis. Be like, to wonder, you know, I think maybe it could thing? be serotonin, yes. blah, 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 uh, requires more investigation. And then a researcher, like, okay, well, I'm going to build on that research right but it seems like they didn't they're like oh this guy said this Let's maybe we could just drugs. just develop some drugs based on make what this guy money. said or take what he said publish a few papers that make it yes. seem as if it's fact and then everyone latches on to that yes. right yeah so yeah and then this goes to what we're talking about today and the recent study that came out just i think in the end of july mm-hmm. that also showed yeah it's not a thing it's well, not a thing. They did, I think it was a meta-analysis of all the different studies looking at people that are depressed and people are not depressed and measuring their serotonin levels. And in fact, there is no difference. Serotonin has nothing to do with whether you're depressed or not. No. So do we know what serotonin is now? Can you explain what serotonin is? Yeah, so serotonin is um, it's a neurotransmitter. Mm-hmm. So it's released from one nerve cell to the other. Um, and it's there's so much involved in it. Like there's, it does have things to do with mood. It does have things to do with reward and learning and cognition. 
memory like there's so many Mm -hmm. so many things it also has things to do with more physiological um like vasoconstriction so constriction of your blood vessels there's a lot that it does so right is it just almost like it's just some kind of chemical like an amino acid or well i can i can give you the um the formula for it okay but it's just you know it's It's uh, carbon hydrogen nitrogen and oxygen I mean, those are those are the four, well, that's, yeah, uh, the four elements that, that are. Yes. I mean, that could be. Yes. Could so be <laughs> a range of different well, things yeah. for that. C10, but H12, yeah. and 2O. Okay. All right. There, there you go. go. And uh, its precursor is um, 5-HTP, which is 5-hydroxytryptamine. So. Mm. So, how does your body produce serotonin? So I don't think we need to get into that. Mm, it's just okay, getting, it's not, important. T- it's not okay. important right now. Sorry. Oh, you know me. I love chemistry. I, know, I, I do too. Just I like, do too. Oh. I do too. But it's just going above the scope. Yeah. yeah. So the point is, is that, yeah, it's just, it's not a thing. Yeah. Okay. And so then the question is, well. So then what do we do about it? I guess. Right. Well, well just, uh, just a couple more things. <laughs> so there was another trial called the star D trial. And what they found in this study was um, they just followed people that went to their doctor's office and said, I'm feeling depressed. The doctor would give them the medication and they would just follow them to see what would happen like over time, if they would recover or not. So only one in three people on the pills had a lasting proper recovery. And the proportion of the people on antidepressants that continued to be depressed was 65 to 80% of people. Right. And then doctors would probably just, these people that they said get better, do they, eventually get off the medication I don't or know. they were still taking it I don't. so you know what hang on a second hang on we just need to back up a second here because yes. i think i just glossed over because i'm trying to put all this stuff together and yes. it's a lot to process I know. so okay so a study comes out or a review of all the studies a meta-analysis yeah. says our whole basis of is like every single antidepressant drug based on no, serotonin though no. there's other there's, there's other kinds of course yeah. so but okay, so then all the the drugs that have been developed that are supposedly supposed to increase your serotonin le- levels for mm-hmm. depression, it's all based on, not to say a lie, but on a, a scientific theory that is proven to be completely false. Yes. So they're literally useless in fighting they're not depression. They're not useless. So this be, let's be very careful. Okay. Here. Well, that's they're what I'm not, asking. No. I'm not saying, and I am not against, let me say that again. I am not against... <laughs> Let me be clear. For the people in the back. I'm not against antidepressants. No, no. Well, they have their place. And I think the point is... Well, we don't know why they work. We don't know why they work. We just don't know. Some people take them and it helps. And that's all that matters. But again, it could be a placebo. So which then is this is the other thing he brings up. This yeah. is what he brings up. He says, well, if it's if it's a placebo, well, then it's like, so what? So great. Like, But not if it causes fat loss and hair loss and whatever kind of side effects though right crazy thing about some of the the crazy things like working in the pharmacy and doling out like mostly antidepressants yeah one of the side effects of antidepressants is suicidal ideation yeah like it's unreal to me right so (laughs) yeah it's it's like the side effects of this drug is like to have even worse yeah of what you're trying to to fix that's insane so yeah right so yeah like so but that's what I mean, though. But like the premise of developing these drugs yes. are not working to fight the disease and how it should be because it's not even targeting something that is real, right? Like you yeah. said, oh, they're working. But then it's like, are they really? Because you're saying it's such a low percentage. It's mostly placebo. Well, yeah. we work, we don't know. But that's yes. not a good, that's not what it's you, not good enough. That's not what it's you not want not. for your, your, your health care. No. You're like, well, 
we'll try something to see if it works and then it yeah. works and then it's like well maybe it's just a placebo but who cares you feel better yeah yeah that's 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 not good enough the other thing that's really interesting about this is he goes into a whole chapter talking about grief and mm-hmm. so if you to be diagnosed with depression you have to show at least five out of nine sim- symptoms like every day but there is an exception for grief when you are diagnosing right. depression obviously well yeah if somebody has just lost somebody very important they they take off all the boxes of be like oh this person is clinically depressed and yes whatever and so there was an exception in the dsm so the diagnostic and statistic manual which is the manual that we use to diagnose mental illness in people yeah. there is an exception there's a, it's called the grief exception yeah. right and so it, you had a year you had a year to grieve and mm-hmm. then you could be called clinically so but they keep shortening it shortening it so then they shortened it to three months yeah isn't it like two weeks or then something they shortened it like to that? two weeks and now there is no grief exception in the ds so so i could die you could go in and say i feel really sad about my wife dying and then be like okay you're clinically depressed i'm gonna i'm gonna prescribe you an antidepressant right well i would want a doctor to be like well has anything happened recently in your life that would explain they don't ask these questions they don't ask are they not allowed to ask these questions they don't have time and they don't care maybe they don't care i'm sorry i'm I'm really i'm like so triggered yeah i'm so triggered because Uh. it's I need you to stop using that <laughs> word because that word is actually <laughs> triggering me. Okay. Um, so, right, because you're saying, I mean, going back to the, the this guy's character and why you like this book is because he's deep, delve, diving yes. deep into this issue and he's finding out then that, um, oh my God, I just lost my total train of thought. Um, oh yeah, he's also finding out about what's going on with depression. Why are there more people being diagnosed than ever? Because I guess, I don't know if it's an exponential increase. I don't know. Uh, just yeah. kind of how you're seeing way more kids being diagnosed with autism. There's all yes. that kind of stuff. Yeah. So, but is he thinking then is because of this changes to this DSM? No. Which is what you're talking about right no, now. No, I'm not. Just wait and I'll get okay. into it. Okay. So the point is, is that <laughs> if you concede that you see symptoms of depression in this situation then what's to say other events can like will also make you feel this way if you lose your job right you that's that's you're gonna have to grieve that that's like another grief exception if you're being bullied at school right so it's not well that's actually really bad though but you know i understand (laughs) but the point is but the point is is it's not simply your brain physiology it's it's you have to look at things in the context of what's happening in your life you if mm. i die you're not depressed because all of a sudden you have a uh, chemical imbalance in your brain you're depressed because right. it's a loss but that's where this is where i get very confused about what is actual depression mm-hmm. versus i'm just really sad and i'm feeling actual just emotion based yes. on what has happened in my life that's what i'm getting because at, right losing someone that you love and feeling sad and like crying all the time and just like, how am I going to survive and how am I going to move forward? That's normal and that's natural. And yes. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. And, and you how don't do you need put to, a time limit and on And you it. don't need to go. Some people could move on probably faster than others. Yes. Um, maybe if someone can't let go after like 15 years, maybe there's some other things they may need help with. Mm-hmm. But that's where I think therapy and just talking about your problems can help not just like you know what i mean like that, that's a big difference from someone like like the guy said oh i just feel sad all the time and if nothing's making you feel sad yeah. then okay what the hell's going on well, of course versus 
I'm sad. You know, but two people say they're sad. One guy just lost their dog and the other guy is just, I, I just woke up that way. Those are two completely different. They, they should have two completely different treatments. Yeah. You know? No, uh, like, ab- like, absolutely. Yeah, it's well, and this is where it comes down to, because if you, if you say that, yes, there should be a grief exception or an exception if, you know, you lose a job or any of these other things, like these big events in your life that can make you feel like mm-hmm. upset or sad or depressed, then you, you have to admit that the chemical imbalance thing is not entirely correct. Right. So you're saying so they're contradicting yes, themselves in their yes. the DSM or whatever. Right. And then how we, and then how we treat it. And right. so I think it goes back to the model of depression needs to not just be a chemical imbalance or just a physiological. It has to be what's called a biopsychosocial model. Huh. So you look at the biology, you look at the psychology of the person, and then you look at their social but see, and doctors the, a, are context. nowhere near trained enough to be able to handle this no, kind of multidisciplinary no. kind of approach. But I mean, they can't I even look at it when you just have regular, like, I am overweight. You know, it's not It's not even like, well, okay, what are you eating? I don't know. I have What's high cholesterol. You have high cholesterol. Here's a pill. Exactly. Right. That's what I'm saying. It's not even it's looking not at anything. I know. I am, yeah. No. You know? So, and it's, that's easy to do. It's like, why the hell can't you just be like, well, are you exercising? Are you sleeping? What's yeah. your diet like? Blah, 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 yeah. blah. It's like, no, here's a drug. So think of something where, like, if you're, if you're, you know, if you're, I keep saying, if you're fat, if you're overweight, or you have high blood pressure, or you broke a bone, like, these are things you can measure with devices and yes. you can see. Yes. But, like, depression is not even something you can see or measure. So you're just very, dealing with what people say. So, and it's like, very similar to pain and how exactly, the pain book that we exactly. talked about. Exactly. It's like, well. And that's why they have that subjective Hamilton scale, right? Right. Because it, it has to how be, yeah. else do you measure it? It's really difficult. Right. So, I thought that was a really interesting kind of side thing he put in there. Mm-hmm. But th- the point is, is he goes around talking to all these different people. And what he finds is, is that everything, all of the causes of depression that he's seeing, he sees them as all forms of disconnection. Um, Re- disconnection with other people. All just different kinds of, dis- di- all different kinds of disconnection and we'll get into w- what he's talking about there he hmm. does also talk about like what are I think the i ro- like where this guy is going but we'll yes let's, let's but see. he talks a lot about like what are the role what is what is the actual role of like the physio like the physio physiology role like what is that role in play in depression what what role do your genes play in depression and so they did twin studies mm-hmm. to look at how closely it co- depression correlates between identical twins and so there's just to give context there's some conditions that it's 100%. It's 100% genetic. Both twins will have that condition. Um, I think Huntington's disease, I think, is mm-hmm. 100%. So if one twin has Huntington's disease, then the other twin will 100% have it. So it's 100% genetic. Yeah. There's other ones where it's like you have 50% chance or that kind of thing. For depression, it's 30%. Well, then that... Okay. Well, then that to me suggests... Uh, what does it suggest to me? <laughs> it suggests that thirty percent of it is genetic based, right? Oh, but not even. It doesn't even mean that it's thirty percent genetic based. It just means that the environment plays a more significant factor than your actual genetics. And it could just be that through random chance that they both experience things in their life that are the same yes. that cause that condition. So to me, it says it's almost like it's almost not genetic. It's like yeah. 
Because if it's only because it's thirty percent. Two people living in the same room, brother sister. There's a maybe there's a thirty percent chance that they both develop. It depends the same on what the twin studies were, though, because sure, some of the twin sure. studies they're identical, but then they were like separated at birth, right? So you, I don't know right. what it is. Right. So you have to think about so, that too. So but again, like we always talk about genetics, has been you maybe your predisposition to something, right? When you, if you have certain genes. Well, or whatever, yeah. Right? Well, and it just goes back to genetics loads the gun, and then the environment pulls the trigger. And that's how it is. So. Um, what was I going to say? So the first disconnection he talks about is, and you're going to love this disconnection. And this is the other thing I love about this book is he goes through all of the disconnections mm. and then he goes through all how we can reconnect. Solutions. Yeah, I love it. I love all it. All right. Love so it. when are we getting rid of our cell phones? Is <laughs> 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 that cause coming up? It's got to cause. It's going to be harder for you than me, Mr. SimCity. <laughs> look, listen, look, listen, listen. I like <laughs> city building games. What am I going to say? Mm. Um, I I can get rid of that. I get. I'll, I'll, I'll bring it back. Mm-hmm. Just gonna, oh just please. Okay. So what, uh, anyway, the first disconnection he talks about is disconnection from meaningful work, which I think. Well, let me say. Okay, let, before you start this, it's before you say. Um, let me think of the things that I think are the most important things. Oh, for disconnections? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, or just, well, I don't know yeah. if they're necessarily disconnections. Okay. Go but ahead. this is just the four things that. We're going to be focusing on our website mm-hmm. and, and what I want to focus in life. Yeah. Uh, so me, the meaningful work, that mm-hmm. is super important. Yes. I have that meaningful work mm-hmm. and something that will give you fulfillment and purpose in life. Mm-hmm. Uh, meaningful relationships. Um, it's not about having like I got a thousand mm-hmm. friends. Mm-hmm. It's just having that connection mm-hmm. with friends and family mm-hmm. and having people around your life that, you know, you can count on and talk to and whatever and have a great social circle. Yep. Small. Yep, yep. So, um the 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 third one is um being as healthy and as fit as you as you can mm-hmm. and really taking care of your personal health mm-hmm. whether, whether that's thinking about longevity or whatever so that's like being connected with your body i guess mm-hmm. you can say sure. and then the third one is um or for the fourth one i guess for me what's important is financial freedom and being able to Maybe this doesn't make any sense here, but at least to be able to be free, to be able to connect and do the things that are important to you that you don't have to always mm-hmm. worry, worry about, mm-hmm. uh, about money. But I think that that and meaningful work is kind of mm-hmm. sometimes intertwined yeah. or whatever. But anyways, so mm-hmm. that's what I think. Okay. But in terms of connections, definitely connecting with nature, connecting with people, mm-hmm. getting away from technology. I think technology has done so much damage i mean it's done some great stuff mm-hmm. look at the stuff we're doing right now yeah but yeah. i think it's done a lot of damage mm-hmm. to our society yeah. like a lot yeah. anyways so yeah so, the <laughs> so first am i off mm, you, you missed a few all right well I, <laughs> yeah, 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 I'm, I'm just listening what's important to me of course which might of course you know this is just what he saw from interviewing so many different researchers right, right. They, this is kind yeah. of the buckets he put them right. in so Meaningful work. So in 20, this is like an old stat, but a Gallup poll in 2012 found that only 13% of people feel engaged in their jobs. Mm -hmm. Um, 63% are not engaged and 24% are actively disengaged. So (laughs) actively disengaged. disengaged. Is it like office space where it's like, yeah, I'm just not going to go anymore. (laughs) Just see what happens. So sorry, does that number add up to 100%? I don't know. I'm sure it does. So, but the the point is, is like the other thing he talks about is not only are we disconnected from meaningful work, but it's like 
our work is just downright boring and monotonous. Like if you're working mm-hmm. in a factory, like that's boring yeah. and monotonous or you don't, the one he goes through so many different stories of, yeah. uh, of people in this book, which they're amazing. And the one thing he talks about is in this one, I forget where it was. It was in the UK, but I forget what it was like an office setting, but the people they were like, oh, who's gonna, who's more likely to have like a heart attack and die? Well, it's got to be like the guys at the top that are so stressed out all the time. They've got to be the ones that are going to be more likely to have a heart attack. Like the top, like CEOs or whatever? Yeah, yeah, because they ah. have all these like responsibilities. And everything. No, 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 Not no, Not the no, case no. at, at all. all. Yeah. It was mostly the people on the bottom because yeah. they felt like they had like zero control over anything in their job. And to be real, they don't. They don't. You don't. No, you don't. So if you're, you're like a low worker at like Amazon or yeah. whatever, it's yeah, like yeah, yeah, yeah. do this or you're yeah. fired. We'll just get yeah. someone else. Even though like the job, their job was like fine paying. Like they're making a fine living, but it's like within that job itself, they had no yep. control over what they could do. Yep. So then, so then in, for the reconnection, he's talking, he tells this amazing story about this bike store. Then this was somewhere in the States and they were trying to unionize, right? And there was just like a, like a bicycle store. It was just like, <laughs> it's, it's a bicycle, you know, little trike. as you cling, do. Cling, cling, cling. And so they were trying to unionize because they wanted like fair hours and fair work. This and must have been a really, was this a chain? I don't, just know. One? I don't know. Mm. I don't know. So, but the lawyers like busted it up. So they got together and they started a new cooperative democratic bike shop and they left, all the workers left. The other Interesting. Bike shop. Oh, so the lawyers of the bike shop said like, you guys aren't unionizing. Yeah. We're yeah, going to yeah. bust this up busted somehow. Up. Yeah. Yeah. They busted up somehow. So, um, well, that's the thing uh, that, yeah. Like if you are in a situation that's causing you just unhappiness and despair, you got to figure out a way how to get out of it. And I love, I love that. It's like, oh, fuck it. We're just going to open up our own store. Yeah. But that's hard because it's hard. It's like, well, you got to put the capital in them. But if you go together. Yeah. And so they yeah. did it together. They make all the decisions together. Everybody does. Uh, they do shitty jobs, and, but they, but it's rotated, right? So not one person stuck with the shitty. Not one person's work. the big boss. They exactly. might have, they might have like a rotating board, you know, like. The secretary, you know what you mean? Yeah, yeah. Like yeah. Board, I you don't, know? I don't know how they forget do about that. the details. But that's it, not important. Yeah, but, but that's what they did. And that's, so that's awesome. what happened was, is like they weren't just reconnecting. Oh, the in happiness like, is like yeah, but they the weren't roof. just getting reconnecting through like meaningful work. Like it wasn't just that one reconnection that they were gaining because they were gaining like back control of like and securing their futures. Exactly. Right. Like yeah. all of those, and then reconnecting like with, with each the commu- other and the community. Because then make. you want yes. to be successful. You want everyone to have a positive positive experience we're in the shop you have buy-in. and then you're just having fun and then yes. once everyone's having fun it's just lower uh, ups the morale of and then course. probably going to do better customers better i want to i hope at the end of the story that other bike shop is out of business oh i don't know it, it, it would be good to hear but but yeah. so what's really interesting is cornell university did a study looking at 320 different businesses and so half of them had like that typical top-down approach and then the other half had a democratic approach and what they saw was those businesses that had a democratic cooperative approach Mm -hmm. they grew on average four times more than the other ones you do you know this study or do you no i'm sure he cites it i would like like to to read that and because what does that mean right as a business i'm just fascinated about this thinking like okay well if i want to build a business what does that mean right because sometimes when you have a democracy 
people don't make the right decisions, you know? So of course. it's still, it's like, uh, there still needs it's to be average, some way right? to do a decision process yeah. to figure out what's the best for the company. Yeah, yeah. So I would like to know what kind of companies they're looking at and yeah. what is it they're doing. Absolutely. Because I do know too, I've heard companies that, I don't know if it's so much democratic, but the owners, they just give back and they give back huge where there's one company where it was like a Christmas bonus and everyone got like at least something like 50 or $60,000 because nice. the company did really well, you know, so like everyone gets in on it. Yeah. So, and even more than just everyone just gets some stock options. So, yeah. yeah so yeah. it's like, if you can do that, you know, like the CEOs making, Oh, the CEO got a $50 million bonus and everyone else got fired because whatever, you know, like there's, yeah. Yeah. Anyways, that's fascinating. I really would like to, to learn more about that. Yeah. So then the next disconnection, which I think is probably the most significant, that's how I feel after reading this book, Mm -hmm. probably the most significant disconnection that we're experiencing is from other people. Okay. Disconnection from our communities. We're all Mm. so just like ourselves or our family unit. Like they did a study saying like, um, like if you like who do like who do you have to call on if you're like an emergency and like a lot right. of people said like nobody they I don't, don't have, have anybody. anybody and that's really sad yeah. um because we're not evolutionarily wired to be that way we're evolutionarily wired to be together in small tribes and help each other yep. and so be the, like the physiological studies on loneliness are unreal there's a there's whole books written on this now about how bad loneliness yeah. is for us and like it causes your cortisol like physiological oh, stuff horrible. happens and it can be as stressful as like being punched and like your immune system and this is one of the biggest thing with these lockdowns is i after <laughs> oh, so after wow. reading all of this information all of this data on how isolated people lonely people are three times more likely to get a cold than people that are not isolated. Oh, yeah. Oh, so uh, it depresses your immune function. The so <sighs> the lockdowns, not a great idea. It's not even, it's, I don't even want to, I don't, I can't even start with this whole lockdown stuff of how bad that is um, and how bad that continues to be for people. Like the data, I don't even know if anybody's going to collect the data on how much increase of suicide depression anxiety 100%. uh like i said lower immune system just overall yeah. mental health of entire generation of people is just shot and that damage is i don't even know how they're going to be able to quantify that if at all and i'm sure i'm sure there's going to be a lot of people that are going to w- not even want to get that information out mm-hmm. on how devastating that that was yep. um regardless of the fact that if it actually even did anything it was, it was supposed to do <laughs> um yeah, it, it it makes no sense to be able to, to do those kinds of things and to put people through that knowing how bad it is for people, no. you know, like when the cure is worse than the disease, right? No, and that's, that's it. Um, so then when he, he's talking about the reconnection, how you reconnect with other people, he talks about this story of a neighborhood in Berlin and the neighborhood is called Koti, I think. Mm-hmm. And so what happened in this neighborhood, it's kind of like a inner city type neighborhood. It's kind of the neighborhood that you tell people like don't walk through at dark. Like it's not great. It's kind of like housing complexes and um it's not it's not great. Mm-hmm. And so what happened was is the rents kept rising 
And so people there are poor and they weren't able to pay their rent. And so this one woman one day goes out and she puts a sign on her door and she's like, um, basically I'm going to commit suicide at the end of the week because I'm being evicted and I have nowhere to go and I can't pay my rent. So I'm like at the end of the week, I'm going to kill myself basically. So people, people rallied probably around that. They rallied around her. They did huge protests. They like blocked a whole intersection and they were just like, Oh, if we can like make this like last like a week, we'll be happy. It lasted for like over a year Mm. and now there's like a monument there. But the point is, is they had to go out together to like man this like protest. The police wouldn't shut them down and take it away in the middle of the night. So they were getting to know their neighbors. And so people that were from completely different backgrounds were coming together for a singular cause and helping. There was a, a mentally ill man that was there that he had broke out of, um, mental institution and he was just like not violent or anything like very kind and nice (laughs) yeah yeah. and so they come the institution comes to pick him up and take him back and then they all rally and protest and he gets he gets out but then and then there's like um like a, a gay owned bar at in this area as well and people that were like super conservative would never go into that bar but that bar kept coming out and like giving people like snacks and treats and like coffee when they were standing in the middle and i think they even gave the mentally ill man a job there but it was just like and then eventually they were able to get some of these reforms but it was like it reminded me of the convoy it's like i was gonna say it's people coming together for a common cause differences don't matter like it was it, a beautiful story it's finding humanity and yes. finding that there's so much more that brings us together 100%. together than keeps us apart yes um but there's just always for whatever reason there's such a push from i don't know if it's from government or from policymakers or corporations or whatever it is but it's like it's just non-stop trying to put us up against each other yeah. and never to just bring bring us together um because yeah just like you, you said of the the convoy and i mean we've watched there's thousands and thousands of hours of people just like having their camera and just live streaming the yes. event and it's just people getting together again yeah over whatever it doesn't even matter whatever the cause is they're just getting together in a peaceful way and you get to know people and be yeah. like you know what actually we should all just get along and we should all just move forward whatever yeah. not be persecuting each other yes. all this kind of stuff yeah. and it's so sad that we've lost that but it's also difficult like how how do people get to the point where they can elicit this type of change like what do you do as an individual to reach out and try to make a a, a community like like i've always said when we're talking about things about how to change um like first you have to change yourself Yourself. within and then maybe in your family and in your house and then in your community and Mm -hmm. then that's how things spread like like i'm going to greta thunberg yell and change the save the world's climate issues blah 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 like it doesn't work that way you can't just fix all the world's problems when you can't even you know make your own bed as jordan peterson would say right yeah so but like how do you build these these types of communities does he talk about what you can do he's just giving like the Mm. examples that he's seen of of how it yeah it works and sometimes it does take some kind of cause or some Mm. external thing like the farmers in netherlands and 
so yeah and so but the one thing like one of the other kind of reconnections that is related to this that there's this one doctor in the uk and yes it's a clinic and so yes he does prescribe antidepressants but he also does what's called social prescribing for these people we're all gonna get together and talk about our shit and so he he prescribed them you had like over a hundred different choices of how you wanted to like socially connect with people and then Mm. that's what you did and so there was he goes to the story of this one woman that went there and she got together with 20 other patients and their task was to make they called it dog shit alley and it was just this like shitty shitty alley that was just concrete and so they all got together and they were figuring out how to how make it nice. How to make it nice. What yeah. to plant. So they were taking horticulture. They did like little field trips to go to different gardens and to figure out what they wanted to do. And they were planning this whole thing together. Yeah. They weren't forced to talk about their problems, but eventually they did open up to each other, and that in itself helped them. Of course. And they were always checking in on one another. Oh, so and so is not here today. Oh, I'm going to give them a call to make sure that they're they're going to come and yeah. see if they're okay. So. Yeah, and then there was also connecting with nature at the same time, which is another yeah. super important connection. So, yeah, so, uh, but what he says is, like, the whole time he's thinking about depression and writing this book, he's, like, he just wanted, like, quick individualistic um, solutions, right? I just mm. want to take a pill. Or when he was feeling, so when he was starting to feel depressed again, he would go and do something for himself. And this is where I fucking hate this stupid self-care has been totally hijacked Mm, by this depression thing. And I really hate it because being a mom of a kid that has special needs, that self-care is, it's used in a different context in our community. And Mm. it pisses me off that it's been hijacked by this because I don't think it's right at all. Yeah. So anyways, that's a complete aside. No, but but you just, what you mean, maybe to just expand a little bit, you just mean that when people are feeling like they need a break or whatever, they're feeling overwhelmed that the number one thing is, well, you just always just need, like, I just need to go out on my own and do things by myself or I need to go on a shopping spree on my own. I got to spend money and fill a spa. Yeah. But it's, it's all like, like that's me, the way me, to recharge me. is like only focus about me, but it should be just like, no, what can, or like maybe it could just be like, oh, well, I'm going to get together with my other group of friends and we're going to work on something yeah. like this to better our community or whatever yes. would probably make you infinitely more happy and more of a recharge than it is of just like, yeah. oh, well, I'm just going to go by myself and yeah, do my own thing. Yeah. Yep. And so what he says is what this evidence was telling me was that this search for a quick individual, the search for quick individual solutions is a trap. In fact, the search for Mm. individual solutions is part of what got us into this problem in the first place. We have become imprisoned inside our own egos, walled off from where true connection cannot reach us. And I think it's 100% true. Do you think this is all by design? I mean, if you look at the reach of a pharmaceutical company, how much money they have to market and advertise and whatever, it's just like, you know what? We're just going to keep people as sick as possible and whatever. And like, this is just, this is how we're going to deal with it. I don't know. Because if you're a doctor and if you just spend a minute reading some stuff like this, wouldn't you just be like, you know what? I'm going to try something different. I'm going to try Because if you're, you should want to do no harm and just, you want to actually help your patients. So what's really, why don't you try? So what's really interesting and it's really, this is like a perfect segue for like the next disconnection is I don't know if it's by design, but I think it goes to what our values are. It's just the way the system is. And that's the, that's the next disconnection is disconnection from meaningful values. And what I love what he talks about is it's like we eat junk food 
and now we also have junk values that are put on it. Mm -hmm. So things like we're comparing ourselves on social media to people's the best of what they're posting, right? That's not their real lives, but that's what we're comparing yeah. ourselves and to. And even that, it's so highly curated and whatever, and it's not even it's not even real. Yeah, and yep. so we're not being driven by like our innate needs to to be connected and to have autonomy and feel valued. Right. And so it's just all of these junk, shitty values. And so what happens is is like. Yeah, like the um, the ad companies feed into it, right? They tell us what we should have and um, what we need to do. We're, we're not good enough, so we need this new car. Right. We need this latest or, or, or it's like they don't you know, specifically say you're not good enough, but you're like, if you get this, your life will be infinitely better, better if you had yes. just had this product or what and have you. So yep. he talks about intrinsic motivation yep. versus extrinsic. Mm. Extrinsic. Um, like motives and so that's what everyone is being driven by right now not everyone but a lot of people right. are what society's been driven by is like these extrinsic yep. values and motives and yep. not intrinsically what do you actually value um and so yeah he says we're being propagandized to live in a way that doesn't meet our basic psychological needs so we are left with a permanent puzzling sense of dissatisfaction yep and so. then yeah and then what's going to be there to f when that void's not filled and it becomes more and more of a problem yeah. Uh, pharmaceutical company to the rescue because everyone just wants a pill. Yeah. Because it's easy. Yes. Yeah. And so what's interesting. It's like this perfect feedback loop that just feeds on itself and makes the beast worse and worse and worse. Yeah. And, and so he talks mm. about there's um, in Sao Paulo, Brazil, there's actually like a ban on billboards. So there's no advertising there like in the city. Mm. Um, Sweden and Greece don't allow advertising directly to children. So it's like that's tough though because what about TV shows? Well, I don't think they can advertise like toys or stuff like that, right? Mm -hmm. Like I think that's what they're kind of oh talking right, about. like nothing could be advertised specifically for, for children. children. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, um, yeah, and so he says advertising is the only is only the PR team for an economic system that operates by making us feel inadequate and telling us the solution is to constantly spend. Yeah, well, it. It has to, because that's the machine, and that's what it's all about. And it's funny, because like the resources that marketers have, like the teams of psychologists and whatever, they have stuff down. It, it, it's a huge science about how to play on people's emotions and how to just pull on the right strings in order to get you to make that purchase, right, or to think yeah. about it. And it's not even about the product filling a need. It's like finding out what deeply is driving you, like you said, this intrinsic motivation or whatever. What your insecurities are. Yeah, and then figuring out a solution that should fill that gap, but it never does. Remember the movie, The Minimalists, and what yeah. they're talking about? Yeah. It's like, I always just try to fill it with stuff and drugs yeah. and whatever. And it's like, yeah. I, the hole never get filled, no matter how much money I spent and how much stuff I had. Yeah. Um, but it's like, yeah, the amount of resources that these people have, it's like way more than what a doctor would have that's going to try to treat you, 100%. you know? So like, how can you like defend against multi-billions of dollars of advertising bombardments every single day like what isn't it like thousands of ads yeah, you see a day tons. versus like oh a, a doctor that maybe will try to help you but doesn't have the resources at all you know or the time yeah and that's the one thing like again like i love capitalism and i think for now i think this is the best way uh, like uh like a system could run in order to make people productive but that's the downside of it and we have to figure the shit out is that the only way that it keeps going is that if people keep spending money and people keep buying things, right? And there's got to be a way to make that healthier. And I don't know if that's through regulation with how you can advertise and what you can advertise because it's 
people still need things, right? So it's good to still produce things that people need, but there's got to be a point where it's like, well, stop producing shit that I don't need or that makes me sick or whatever. Like there's got to be some kind of ethical thing behind that. So anyways, very fascinating. Um, What was interesting with this reconnection is he talked about there was an experiment that actually um, they got a group of people together and they talked about um, what they spent any money on and why they spent mm-hmm. money on, but then also, well, what, but what do you value? And they saw that there was like a disconnect between, That's so between those things. And so what happened was, is they kept having this group go on. And so they were like, the researchers wondered if we discussed alternatives to buying, could we take back control of our values? And so these people got together and they were talking about their intrinsic goals, right? Not like what they wanted to buy or anything. Mm-hmm. And so they would come back each week and talk about what they'd done to move towards those right. intrinsic values and goals. And they were holding each other accountable. Right. And That's so it's huge. And so what they found was, and there was another study too that found um, people that were had lower materialism were like they had higher self-esteem in themselves. Yeah. So, but that, that group <laughs> kind of internally make yourself feel better, exactly. not rely on other, other things, things to make you feel better, yeah. which they never do. So I thought that that was a really interesting kind of group yeah. therapy example. That's so. really interesting. We've talked a lot about this before about like the small changes every day yeah. and how there's such a disconnect between your short term brain of like just wanting satisfaction now versus the long-term reward. It's like, if you know you want to be super healthy or whatever, but short-term, your brain's like, well, you know what? That chocolate bar tastes really good, actually. So I want that instead. Yeah. And it's in direct conflict with. with what you want to be or who you want to become, right? And it's like, same thing with spending. It's like, what are your values? Mm-hmm. And why are your habits in the short-term going against That's your values, right? You know? So, yeah. or are you not being honest with yourself as to what your values actually are too? So that's exactly. another another thing. I would love to sit down with you and like, hey, you know what? Let's write our yeah, values down. Absolutely. We should do this like kind of a little, not an experiment, but just like, let's write down our values. And like, first of all, what are we spending our money yeah. on? And like, yeah. is there a disconnect with you? I think that would be a good thing for us to do. Yep. Maybe we can talk about it at some point. Yeah, for sure. Um, I won't talk about all the disconnections because we'll be here all day. Mm. Um, but there is two more that I want to talk about because they were really interesting. One was um, disconnection from childhood trauma. And part of his story is he was, he doesn't get into it, but he was physically abused by someone in his family. I don't think it was his parents. I think it was like an uncle. And he always felt so much shame about it. Always mm. thought it was like his fault. And so that right. was part of it as well. <laughs> That's like a huge part where it's like the beginning. It's like I say teen and just kind of felt depressed all the mm-hmm. whole time. It's like, oh, by the way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I know. No, oh, um, But what he talked about was there was, this was in the 80s. They, did the, they were doing this study on obesity and they, this one doctor was doing experiments and he got all of these people to, to fast and he had huge success. Of course, we know fasting is amazing. Yeah. And so they... But it's also like what happens after But what fast. happened was all of these people got back down to a healthy weight, but many of them put all the weight back on. So f- what he found was he's like, what is happening here? And so he's asking people questions. Well, what happened? What led up to before you started to like do this thing so he's talking to this one patient and he's like well what happened before you start started like going back to binge eating and she's like well i got catcalled like or, or hit on or something like that and then i started eating and he's like okay well 
Okay. Oh, that's interesting. That's interesting. And so <laughs> he's like, okay, well, well, what happened when you first started gaining weight? Like, how old were you? And she's like, I was 12. And he's like, well, what happened before you started gaining weight when you were 12? And she's like, oh, something bad happened. My grandfather raped me. And so what he found was 55% of the people in the program that had relapsed were sexually abused. And so they were using fat as like camouflage because she's like, if you're fat, then you're overlooked. Mm. So it was really interesting. And so that was most of the, a lot of these people were, had similar kind of issues. And so then what they did was they, what they found was they had another study that had a checklist for childhood traumatic events um, and with a detailed medical history. And what they found was the more trauma you experienced as a kid, the more likely you were to become depressed. So it so, but it's just like the depression and the Unless obesity. David Goggins. Unless David Goggins. <laughs> the depression, and the obesity were were just symptoms. There's a different. There's something more going on that we need mm-hmm. to dig deeper and find. And so, but like, what is the cure? I mean, you just talk about it, and then all is well. If you just relive so it then and just what work they through it. Did not even. Th- mm. And this is what's so amazing about this. So they did another experiment, and they said, okay, doctors like someone's going to come into your office and you're just going to talk to them and you're just going to ask them if you do like a history, you're just going to ask them about any childhood trauma. And if they do have childhood trauma, like you just ask them the question, you'll just respond in like a non-judgmental and a sympathetic way. And you'll say, I'm so sorry that that happened to you. That shouldn't have happened to you. Would you like to talk to someone about it in more detail? Like can right. I refer you to a therapist? 35% of those people were less likely to return for any type of medical help. Mm. And 50% were less likely to ask for drugs. So even just by acknowledging it, acknowledging it and showing them you don't need to feel shameful about yeah. it. It's not your fault. Mm. And there's help if you want help. Right. Just asking that question and making that available helped people. And this is what I'm talking about is it has to be for anything medical, for anything with anything. It has to be this biopsychosocial approach where you're looking at the whole person in the context of their lives. Yeah. So I just, I loved that story. I just Mm. thought it was taking the time and that's connecting with people, reconnecting with people as well, right? Right. Taking the time to really listen. Um, Yeah, so I loved that. And then the last one to talk about would just be, yeah, the disconnection from the natural world. So, and part of that is, I think, again, it makes us feel small and reduces our ego i think when we're out in nature especially when you see something like the ocean or like the mountains you're just like right. oh, i'm so my problems are so insignificant right and like i need to kind of get over myself maybe sometimes <laughs> um but also um like exercise i mean it's clear it's significantly <laughs> it's clear it's clear it's, it's undebatable significantly reduces yeah. depression and anxiety so yeah. and even they did a study to, to look at people that run on a treadmill versus in nature and of course they both see reduction in depression but people outside it's, it's higher for right. people run outside so right. yeah so i just i thought it was awesome and so what he talks about at the end um is he kind of passes a pharmacy on his one, he's on a walk kind of on the way home when it was the pharmacy where he first got his, his antidepressants. And he Mm -hmm. thinks about like what he would tell himself um, now that he knows all of these things that he's kind of 
learned. Yeah. And he says, you aren't a machine with broken parts. You're an animal whose needs are not being met. You need to have a community. You need to have meaningful values, not the junk values you've been pumped full of all your life. Telling you happiness comes through money and buying objects. You need to have meaningful work. You need the natural world. You need to feel you are respected. You need a secure future. You need connections to all these things. Secure future. Yeah, that's... You need yep. to release any shame you might feel for having been mistreated. So I just love yep. that. And so he also <laughs> says to like, you know, he's really lucky he's able to kind of go out and figure some of these connections out on his own. He's just a single guy, no kids. Mm-hmm. But so he's cautious to say like, I know not everyone is in a position where they can just quit their job and go and like live yeah, their dreams basically, the right? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, um, but you can work towards that though. That's I the mean, point. that's the thing, yeah. you know? Um, yeah. yeah, you might not be able to quit your job, but you don't have to stay in that job forever. No. You know, figure out yeah. how you're going to get out. Yeah. Figure out what you'd like to do. Figure out like, like what I, we just said, write down what your values are. You know, if your values are, um, I, it's really stupid, you know, love, peace, and happiness, then don't go work at the weapons manufacturing plant that, you know, build, yeah. that you're building bullets. You know, I, yeah. that's a stupid example, but you know what I mean, right? No, if, you, if you're, if you're, yeah, if you see, make sure the things that you're a part of are aligned with your values, Yeah. you know? Um, and if your job, maybe it's not neither here nor there in terms of your values, but it's not fulfilling, then, you know, you can find something else. Yeah. There's al- there's always something, you know. I know it's tough though. You can definitely feel trapped, but Yeah. You know, sometimes you know, in life getting fired is a kick in the ass that you need to to be able to do Yeah. to do what you um are better suited to do. Anyways, I'm going to say what you're meant to do, but I don't know if you're meant to do anything, but yeah, it reminds me of that remember that viral video? Well, there was a lot of viral vi- vi- videos. Um some guy made a video um, like heckling somebody at a drive-thru restaurant, like mm-hmm. just a Taco Bell kind of thing. And then like he got fired from it because he was heckling. Mm-hmm. Like, he was on CBC. And um, he, he was, you know, five kids, whatever, had to move into their parents' basement or whatever. And he, he ended up after all that because he couldn't get another job because he was so, you know, it was yeah. a, that viral hit or whatever. Um, so it ended up he now like helps other people go through traumatic events who they had been you know maybe now it's called canceled right because this was yeah, way back before. in the day yeah um you know they go on retreats or whatever and he helps people through that or whatever so it's like he's like but i found like actual purpose too not just some exact job or whatever yeah. so even though you can go through something that's really bad yeah you can get out you can you get can yourself out um anyways that's a little bit off off topic here but um but it's all about you know finding that purpose and finding work and yeah 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 so, like I said, like there was, uh, I just, I kind of abbreviated it there because yeah, no, it, it's, there's a lot and I think the book is just so good. It sounds really good. And, and I, I, I love that because I think wor- the world is really disconnected. And I think you and I, I think honestly, that's something that we need to do better Yeah, uh, is connecting with other people because we're always so busy with our our own our stuff. own things and really yeah. just the four people that are in here yeah um we could do better at connecting with other people uh for sure because it's like who are we gonna call on if there's ever any mercy like i have a couple of people but they're not like yeah i know i know super i know that they would just come and yeah. drop you know at a drop of hat right so we don't have those and those friendships fair, and everything so like obviously we literally just moved here and then the pandemic hit yeah so we well, didn't even have time to no, make no. any connection no 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 for so, sure 
Um, but yeah, no. But again, no excuses, right? We're talking all this mm-hmm. kind of stuff. But I'm, I'm, I'm just saying. Uh, it's yeah, not that no. I feel that I'm unhappy or anything like no, that no, too. I know. So, I know but it's saying. you know, know it's something saying. that we can we can work on and something we will work on because there's some things that are coming up which is going to be pretty exciting. Yeah. Um. So yeah, one to ten. Oh, like twelve. Oh, there we go. It's, I it's I think <laughs> I told you when I started reading, I was like, I think this is going to be my favorite book of the year. Oh really? Yes. Oh, we should do a book of the year award. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Um, I mean, this. I mean, it's only. Uh, I read it in August, July. I read it in July, so yeah. we'll see. But so far, I have another one that I'm reading right now that I think might be up there too. But so far, like this book is just social prescribing yeah it it's sounds so freaking good i really suggest oh. everybody read it one thing i was gonna say is yeah like we're talking a little bit about technology and like he's saying you know you get a get group in person or whatever and but now things are like you know tinder or whatever i've never used yeah. any of these god-awful yeah. dating apps but it's like you don't even connect with people on there yeah. it's like you just swipe 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 and it's just like a hookup platform yeah so it's like app idea you know create if you actually want to use technology to bring people yeah. that are like-minded together maybe they have some they have like meetups or whatever yeah. they have that but you know what i mean like something to yeah to bring people together in a meaningful way not in just like it's all about connection it's all about connections all about the spirit <laughs> passion <laughs> it's not about cock and balls and shit stain okay. <laughs> whatever okay. is that from it's wrong 40 year old 40 year old versions i can't even remember what <laughs> that guy says it's the best it's not about this please stop <laughs> stop um yeah so mm. i think that's it there's not you know any adventure type things that this guy did no but i think definitely the takeaways are definitely connection is really important mm. and like you said making sure like there's so much there's so many takeaways like sitting down and looking at our values like you said yeah. like yeah let's do that let's really focus and i think that what is the focus of this year for me is like making connections here and trying right. to right. trying to do that and yep yep and don't be advertised to, obviously. Obviously. Yeah. 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 So. Cool. Yeah. Right on. Cool. Ooh, crisp by five. Let's get it. It's like, you're, ooh, like you're so surprised. Like, this is the way that we've ended every podcast for the past five years. It's like, ooh. Anyway. I never, I didn't know we were going to do this. So. So. Thank you so much for thank watching you. and listening. Mm-hmm. And good luck with your connections. Mm-hmm. And we'll see you next time. See you next week.